Good morning and welcome to Bite Size. My name is Yoni Pollock and I'll be your host every Wednesday morning from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. As you may be able to tell, my voice is uh, starting to get scratchy, starting to get uh, all those feelings of when it's, you know, not necessarily when I'm getting a cold because I hope that doesn't happen, but it's cold, and, and when that happens, my voice tends to sometimes give out, which isn't so great if I'm someone on the air, but hey, you know, it is what it is. Things are going to happen, and uh, you got to adjust accordingly. So here I am in front of the mic, my voice being my voice, but we're going to have a good show today. Today, we have uh, returning bite-sized contributors, both Joanna Shepson and Tova Kanacht will be uh, on air with us in their, uh, <clears throat> well, really, whatever time slot I choose. But uh, they'll be joining us today. And, uh, of course, with, with Hanukkah on the way, I've, I've, I've kind of gone back and forth with whether or not I should go full Hanukkah music. Because, really, next week, it, the show will be on during Hanukkah. And, and I mean, next week, for sure, we're going to have all of my favorite uh, Hanukkah selections. But this week, I'm like, ooh, I'm starting to get into the Hanukkah. You know, spirit, the songs are being played elsewhere. Like, oh, I want to play this song by this composer or this band or this acapella group. But I don't know. I'm going back and forth whether or not today should be the day we play those or not. So, uh, I don't know. I guess you'll have to wait and see. You'll have to wait and see if you hear your favorite Hanukkah song. But for now, I told you last week that for some some strange reason, I had yet to play it all year and I totally forgot about the song. So now... It's going to start today's show. Mahapecha Shel Simcha. You're tuned in to Bite Size right here. Where, folks? Right here on the Nachum Seagull Network. Elohim, Elohim, 
It's a blessing, the bracha. Success, slacha. The world is yours, you offer it to whomever cows you. I say melech, I say malach, I say Rein goldene Klagen in der Lift 
Malcolm Siegel reminding you that the Hebron Fund 24-hour campaign has begun. That's right. Until Wednesday at 2 p.m., you have the opportunity to quadruple your impact on the residents, soldiers, and thousands of visitors who want to connect and pray in the holy city of Hebron. Go now to the Hebron Fund website, hebronfund.org, H-E-B-R-O-N fund.org. This quadruple your $1 campaign continues until Wednesday at 2 p.m. For every dollar you give, it's actually $4. Give as generously as you can and give now. Hebronfund.org, H-E-B-R-O-N fund.org. I 
Goldwags, Am Echad, as your tunes in the bite size here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Coming up now is Joanna Shepson of FunInJerusalem.com. Joanna is a regular contributor here at Bite Size, and uh, she interviewed Mandy Brodeur of the workshop in, in Gush Etzion. Uh, we'll have more on them shortly, but here's Joanna with Mandy Brodeur right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Thank you, Yoni. I'm sitting here today 
with Mandy Broder, and she is the artist behind the workshop Gushetzion. I'm sure many of you have seen different pictures of families enjoying um, a Judaica wood workshop, and uh, Mandy is the one who came up with the idea and has really used her talents to create incredible tourism opportunity in Gushetzion. So, welcome, Mandy. And um, tell us a little bit about your background as an artist and how you got involved in tourism. So um, I, I trained in graphic design, and after a number of years of working mainly on the computer, I realized that I was missing the whole creative side of working with my hands. And I was gifted a scroll saw about 15 years ago and started working with cutting wood and uh, enjoyed the whole idea of cutting out letters, Hebrew letters, and incorporating them in my artwork. And uh, an um, available space um, turned up in, in Rosh Tzurim, in the Kibbutz Rosh Tzurim, where we work, um, where we realized that we could, um, apart from making our own Judaica um, artwork, we could bring other people in to, their, to our space and show them what we were doing and have them create their own pieces of art together. It's interesting because for you, it's so normal and to spend your day cutting wood and using these machinery and for someone, for a family coming in, doing it for the first time, I imagine they arrive and they're like scared to even turn on the machine. So describe what happens. Yeah, absolutely. It's an exciting part of it, actually, because they walk in and we explain to everybody the whole idea of uh, it being a real workshop. It is a, a working workshop. Um, they are, there are certain machines that they will not be working on. They have to understand that uh, they have to stay away from the machines that they're not taught how to use. But it's important that we teach every we teach every step of the way how they're going to be using the machines. And we often see a lot of anxiety on the, on people's parts, not only from the kids, from the adults as well. They get to the machine and they don't know how to use it and a little anxious. Um, but we show them every step of the way how to use it, and it's 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 really lovely to see the switch from that nervous person to that really confident um, conf- confident worker. Um, as we encourage them how to work with the wood and they, they get the results that they're looking for. It's fun to see them. So what does a, a typical project look like? What can people choose from when they come? At the moment, we're, mo- we're working mostly with wood. We have plans to work with other materials too, but uh, wood is our main uh, material right now. We have a number of uh, individual projects um, that families can work, come in and choose whatever individual projects they want to work on. Um, and then um, the idea developed when we saw that um, families would often go home with uh, two or three of the same piece if the children all chose uh, the same piece that they wanted to work on. So we came up with uh, our family projects, which consists of um, individual pieces. Um, every um, person works on his or her own piece, and uh, they are then connected together at the end of the at the end of the session to make uh, one. We called it a we call it a combined effort piece. Um, everybody had an active part in making this piece that can hang on the wall in your home. And uh, I think it's exciting for everybody to see that they really took part in, uh, in making it together. I saw over Sukkot that you had a family piece like that, where people could, each member made part of it, and then it created a beautiful sukkah decoration, and uh, made out of wood, obviously. Um, tell us, though, about why wood... What, what's your bond with wood? You, you, you talk about wood, and that's the material you've chosen, and there is actually a connection between Gush Etzion and the wood. Yeah, there is. Um, in order to get to um, Kibbutz Rosh Tzurim, where we're located, um, which is just past Alon Shvot, um, you have to pass the Alona Boded, which is the lone oak tree, which is a real landmark in Gush Etzion. It's been standing there for hundreds of years. Um, and um, we have a number of projects that we use oak wood for, 
and um, combined with cherry woods. There's a cherry festival every year in Rosh Sarim. And um, uh, uh, we like to always use contrasting woods when we're working for, in our projects. Yeah, we like to use the light, and dark, that light on dark or dark on light. Um, so you can really see the letters in the work that we were, that we were making. Um, so we have those, those projects that we call our Gushetzion projects, use the cher cherry and oak combined. But we work with other imported woods too. We work with walnut, and walnut, which is a really beautiful dark wood, and maple. A number of people have come in and told us that they, they actually have maple trees in their yards here, but they don't grow so well in Israel because they need a lot, of, uh, a lot of water that we don't have. <laughs> we don't really have enough <laughs> of it. Um, but we, we like to play, play around with the, all the different tones of woods. The woods are so beautiful. We use them in their natural, natural colours. We don't paint them at all. Mm. They're varnished. They, they will be varnished by the end of the session. You actually walk out with your finished piece of uh, Judaica, um, but always in their natural colours. So how does the, the different grains, how does, that inter, inter, like, how does that interact with how you're running the workshops? So we explain that too as we're working. Um, the, the process that uh, the families use when they come into the workshop is exactly the same process that we use when we make our own Judaica work. We never cut um, 100 alephs and 100 bets and 100 gimels of any one letter, of any one uh, type of font. Um, we always cut every specific word out of one piece of wood so the grain follows through um, in the whole piece. And we teach everyone how to sand the pieces and how to handle them carefully so they don't snap. Um, often they will snap on the on the grain, um, but we teach everyone how to how to handle everything very carefully so that it won't happen. And then they'll see afterwards that the beauty of the grain really follows through on every word that they that they glue down onto another piece of wood. It's really beautiful, even when you think about it metaphorically. And that the it's funny, like people say to us, um, I, I don't know, I, we don't even know if anyone would actually even notice it when they see the pieces on the wall. But perhaps you don't notice it because it looks right. Right. Like if it didn't look right, <laughs> you would notice yeah. it right away. Exactly. exactly. And then you mentioned that you do um, custom Judaica pieces also. Tell me a little bit more about that. I actually last week had to take my son to the doctor at Wolfson. And as I was waiting for the test results, did he have strep? Did he not have strep? I saw beautiful pieces of artwork on the wall and saw that it was actually made by you. So um, yeah. describe a little bit about the pieces that you have there. There was one that with names of different members of the family that I thought was fabulous. Right, thank you. Most of, our, most of our pieces are custom made. We have one specific piece which uses uh, Birkat Banim, Birkat Yeladim. Um, and uh, in order to um, custom design it for every specific family, we um, use the names of all the children and grandchildren in the background. And in the foreground, you have um, the, the, the first word of the pasuk, simcha, cut out of wood, and the rest of the pasuk is written in calligraphy. Um, and we can, you could do that. You can choose any tone, any color tone, any color tone of wood, any color matting, um, have it fit in with your home, and, uh, um, and we have a number of sizes too. We have a standard size, and we have an upgrade uh, with a bigger size, and everybody, it's a, it's a very personalized piece. Um, we call it a perfect piece for the person who is everything, because uh, it's, a, it's a great gift for a parent and grandparent who really have everything that they need already, but this is, uh, this is a beautiful piece to show what they've, uh, what they have to show for what they have done in their lives. <laughs> so it's funny that you say that because uh, my husband and I had to give a present to a man who literally we felt had everything, and we thought, what could we do? And he lives here in Israel, 
and his grandchildren live here in Israel, and he's very involved in the old city. And we said, you know what, we're going to call Mandy and see if she could take a picture of the grandchildren playing in the streets of the old city and use the pasuk about, and the children will play in the alleyways of the old city. And she created a beautiful piece that he now has hanging on his wall, and he said to us, I can't believe you thought of something that was just so special and so beautiful that I didn't already have. That's really the exciting part of what we do. There's no monotony in it. Like Even when we're doing the sudden art and we happen to do the same project one time after the other, the fact that we have different families coming in and we're interacting with different families and chatting with them as we're working, there's, there's no chance of us getting bored with what we're doing. And there's no chance, you know, we're always trying to think of new ideas with our artwork as well, exactly the same way. We don't want to be doing the same thing over and over again. We're trying to uh, reinvent, uh, reinvent the wheel, really, <laughs> by coming up with new ideas so that we can keep, keep uh, excited, be, being excited by it every single day. So it sounds like you've got a lot of plans for the future also to continue growing the workshop. Do you think you'll be able to move to a larger space, or what are your plans in the future? We might. Uh, we don't have to move to a larger space in order to allow larger groups to come in. At this point, we can have up to about 14 people um the idea of the sessions though is really that we want to keep it moving it's two and a half hours of solid um hands-on creative work and real bonding time for families and the last thing we want is for people to come in and be waiting for the machinery so um as as we as we're able to buy new machines and we um can have more help coming in and have a person standing by each machine showing everyone how to work them then we'll be able to grow the business that's really our plan and also um um, to, to be able to stay busier during the week, we're introducing new ideas of having not, not just families coming in. We'll, we're happy to have um, businesses come in for, you make, uh, for fun days out. Um, that seems to be a big thing here in Israel. Um, we're going to be introducing date nights, which doesn't have to be just couples. It can be mother, you know, mother and child one-on-one time if you really want to have special time with them. Um, it won't be a session for just two people. It, w- it will be an open session that uh, two or three people can come at a time. Uh, in a bigger group, but you can have that time with that, with whoever you've chosen to come with uh, and have uh, some real one-on-one time with them. That sounds great. One of the things I, I find when I, through Fun in Jerusalem is that very often families are looking for things to do together, and they're really concerned when they have a 17-year-old and a 6-year-old and a 90-year-old grandmother who's joining them. So how does this workshop work for families with kids of all ages or even adults? That's actually one of the things that we keep hearing from people who've, uh, who've spent time with us, um, that they find it amazing that it's the first activity that they've found that really suits every single age. Um, we've, uh, we start at the age of six. We don't have anyone coming in the, um, younger than six. Um, and we have had up to, um, we've had one lady who was 90. She came with her grandchildren and her great-grandchildren. Um, and she was up and down the stairs and working on the machines and loving it just as much as a six-year-old. Um, we've had other families who've come in also with a, a big age range of, uh, you know, between six and uh, early 20s even. Um, and they all enjoyed it. And the grandparents join in too. Uh, very often we've had um, a booking um, that told us that the grandparents are coming, but they were not like, likely to be uh, to participate. And they come and they see what everyone's doing. And they're like, you know what, I'm going to make something too. And it's really exciting to see that every age is happy for those two and a half hours. It's just a, a fun it makes us feel good. <laughs> it's really great and very unique for activities in Jerusalem. So you, next time you've got an event, a special event, you want to do something with parents, grandparents, kids, this is definitely a great idea. For sure. <laughs> so for all those listeners um, who want to find out how they can reach Mandy, you can look on Facebook at the Workshop Gushetzion, mm-hmm. 
or you can email the workshop at funinjerusalem.com and you'll be, you can send uh, Mandy an email to see if she's available um, and you can come to a workshop when you're in Israel the next time. So uh, again, Yoni, of course, you're invited to come with your kids, um, create a unique piece of art and Judaica that you can take home with you. So thank you so much, Mandy. Thank you very much. <laughs> and now back to you, Yoni. Thank you, Joanne, and thank you, Mandy. That's Mandy Broder of the workshop at Gushetzion. You can check them out online, funinjerusalem.com slash the, and then a dash, uh, workshop. Again, funinjerusalem.com slash the dash workshop. And I checked out the website. It looks like a lot of fun. Uh, certainly one of those things that uh, I'm going to have to go ahead and check out once I do make that trip. I'm going to have to make a whole trip just of things that Joanna wants me to do, and that's going to take probably several weeks by the time uh, by the time we get through this season here in Bite Size. When Every time Joanna comes on and she has an interview... She wants me to go to these places that she's uh, kind of highlighting and, and promoting. And uh, how could I say no? Because they look like so much fun. So, again, thank you, Joanna. Check her out at funinjerusalem.com. More coming up in Bite Size. Here's Yaakov Shweki with Am Yisrael. Am Yisrael,
Siegel reminding you that the Chevron Fund 24-hour campaign has begun. That's right. 
until Wednesday at 2 p.m., you have the opportunity to quadruple your impact on the residents, soldiers, and thousands of visitors who want to connect and pray in the holy city of Hebron. Go now to the Hebron Fund website, hebronfund.org, H-E-B-R-O-N fund.org. This quadruple your $1 campaign continues until Wednesday at 2 p.m. For every dollar you give, it's actually $4. Give as generously as you can and give now. Hebronfund.org, H-E-B-R-O-N fund.org.
شب خوبی فارا و وی شایر رو بیرایم موی یاری تو یکدی شو یملی خوب شایر رو بیرایم موی یاری تو یکدی شو یملی خوب اشیم خامال کینو دامه وی شب خوبی فارا و وی شایر رو بیرایم موی یاری تو یکدی شو یملی خوب شایر رو بیرایم موی یاری تو یکدی شو یملی خوب شم خوام اکنون تمی کل خاطری بلاوی دایس لواوی دایس ولی شم خوام نوی نوی لزامه
Just wanna celebrate for all eight nights Singing 
field. Their rivals thought, are they for real, 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 real? Those Maccabees, they never yield, 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 yield. They charged ahead with sword and shield, 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 shield. Yeah, yeah, the war went on and on and on until the mighty Greeks were gone. Saying hey oh, spin the dreidel Just wanna celebrate for all late nights Singing hey oh, light the candles We say ma oh soon, oh yeah for all late nights Then we play dreidel by the candlelight And I told you once, now I told you twice About the miracle of the candlelight Menorah For eight days It kept on burning What a celebration A great return To Torah learning Cause I, I, I Can feel it And I, I, I Nezgadol 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 Hayasham Nezgadol Candlelight by the Maccabees. There's that uh, Hanukkah selection that I uh, somewhat promised, slash didn't promise at all, but threw in there as uh, Hanukkah is approaching. And um, I don't want to tease Ford of the Door yet. Okay, fine, I'll do it. I'm going to tease a little bit of Ford of the Door, meaning this week's Ford of the Door will have something to do with... Um, the holiday season. Now, <clears throat> that doesn't necessarily mean Hanukkah, but uh, all right, listen, you're going to have to wait for it. Again, the Ford of the Door usually happens about 10 or so minutes before the end of the show, and uh, you'll have to wait to hear officially what this week's Ford of the Door is. But anyway, here we are with uh, another interview by Tova Knecht, Tova of TovaInIsrael.com. Tovin is on Facebook. Check her out. She, this week, interviewed Ashley Perry of reconnectar.co, C-O, uh, and uh, it's a little bit on the longer side of the uh, interviews that Tova's done, but still, definitely a worthwhile listen. So here's Tova with Ashley Perry. You're tuned into Bite Sized right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Thank you, Yoni. I feel very privileged to be sitting here with Ashley Perry, the president of a remarkable organization called Reconnectar. Thank you uh, for sitting with me. Absolutely. Great to be here. So before we get into um, your organization, 
Uh, can you give us a little brief, you know, brief synopsis about who you are so that the audience could get to know you? Okay, yeah, my real name is Ashley Perez. I come from the Spanish and Portuguese, the Western Sephardi community. I, as you can probably tell from my accent, I'm British and my family been in England 360 years. We fled the Iberian Peninsula around the time of the Inquisition via Holland. I made Aliyah to Israel, uh, now it's uh, 16 years ago. I live in Efrat with my wife and five kids. Um, for the last seven or eight years, I was a senior government advisor, uh, working with the deputy prime minister, foreign minister, defense minister, agriculture minister, various other ministers, members of Knesset and Knesset committee chairman. And for the last year, I've uh, undertaken this role or created an organization called Reconnectar, and I'm also the director general of the Knesset caucus for the reconnection with the descendants of Spanish and Portuguese Jewish communities. Wow, you are very busy. <laughs> um, so, can you tell us a little bit about how you started Reconnectar? So it's very interesting. Because of my background, I've always been aware of the issue of Anosim, the Inquisition, etc., etc. Just for those who don't know what Anosim are, yes. or Bene Anosim, they are the children of those Spanish and Portuguese and other uh, Jewish communities who were forcibly converted starting in the 14th century and eventually around the world. Um, basically, I remember a number of years ago, okay, about two, two and a half years ago, I was with Yeir Shamir, the son of Yitzhak Shamir, who was the Minister of Agriculture. And during an interview where I accompanied him, he said, I think it was with the Jerusalem Post or something like that, he mentioned during a remark the 20 to 25 million Jews in the world. So I took him aside afterwards and I said, yeah, yeah there aren't 20 to 25 million Jews in the world. Depending on how you count them, there's between 12, 14, 15 uh -huh. million maximum. And he said to me, but you're not counting, counting the Anusim. Uh -huh. So I said to him, what do you know about the Anusim? And he told me that not long before, an international businessman had uh, requested a meeting with him and told him uh, a really interesting story, how he had studied the descendants of the Anosim, descendants of the forcibly converted uh, Spanish-Portuguese Jewish communities, and told him about the ramifications and, and how many there are in the world. And he said to me, you should meet him. So I met this guy, and he had a fascinating story. He works for a major international corporation, travels around the world. He speaks in front of thousands of people in stadiums or whatever. And whenever he would be in Latin America, sometimes in the United States or Europe, and he'd be introduced coming from Israel, he'd have a line of people coming up to him oh. with a similar message. And the message was, oh, you're from Israel, you're Jewish, so am I. Or they would reach into their shirt, look around, make sure no one else was looking, and show them what? a Martin David and throw it back in. Wow. And he had no idea, he didn't understand. He, his answer was very nice, thank you very much. You know, he, he had no idea who these people were, it, it just didn't make sense to him. So at one point he asked a friend of his, who are these people? So his friend said to him, they are descendants of forcibly converted uh, Jews, Anusim, and he, he explained to him the history of the subject because this guy uh, had, didn't have too much awareness of it. And his first question was, how many are you thinking thousands, tens of thousands? And the guy basically said tens of millions. So wow. the businessman basically said, I don't believe that, it can't be true. So his friend said to him, check it for yourself. So for the last eight years, at the cost of over a million dollars, he basically assembled a team of academic researchers, market researchers, pollsters, etc., etc., to really understand the issue. And what we understand from those statistics are that there are 
Oh, well over 100 million descendants of Spanish and Portuguese Jewish communities around the world. 100 million. Over 100 million. Over, wow. Some people say 150. I've even heard people talk about 200 million. I, I like to be conservative and say 100 million plus. That's a lot of people. Uh, if, you, if you extrapolate the hundreds of thousands of Jews who are forcibly converted, you can easily get to that number. Yeah. But what we do understand from polls of hundreds of thousands of these people are that around 14% one in some way self-identifies Jewish. When you ask them all sorts of identities, Catholic, evangelical, atheist, Muslim, no religion, I think we asked about, we gave them about 15 different options. One of them was Jewish. Uh -huh. Around 14% self-identified as Jewish. Another 30% are aware of their Jewish ancestry and they want to know more about Judaism, Jewish history, and the state of Israel. Now what this means is that there's a self-identifying community who are part of our people, halakhically, as right. well as morally, I would argue, okay. um, out there who are knocking at the door and asking for some sort of uh, return. There are tens of millions more who are not at that stage yet, but they want to know more. They want to they want become part of the Jewish social fabric mm -hmm. in the world. Now, this obviously can have many massive positive huh. ramifications for the Jewish people in the state of Israel around the world, but at base, it's really about rectifying a moral injustice that was done to our people. You know, in history we're used to events like the Holocaust where they wipe us out and that's it. Right. So here we're talking about events where we weren't physically wiped out, we were just two peoples, our people was disconnected one from the other. And if you look at the Inquisition and even the expulsion, mm -hmm. they weren't about necessarily just hurting the Jews, they were about physically separating our people. The edict of expulsion of uh, Spanish Jewry basically said the idea was to disconnect the Jews from the forcibly converted Jews because they were still one community, still celebrated together and prayed together, mm -hmm. but they no, they no longer wanted the Jewish community to be residents in Spain, to have a bad influence on those that were forcibly converted because as we know from history, we're talking about people who were literally dragged to the baptismal font or had water thrown on them, uh -huh. you know. Right. But according to Christian doctrine, that's it. Overnight or that second, you're no longer a Jew. So you have to be a practicing Christian. Wow. Unbelievable. So how does the Knesset Caucus relate to uh, Reconnectar or does it not at all? Well, they're two uh, separate organizations. As well as Reconnectar, we also created a caucus in the Knesset under a member of Knesset, Robert Ilatov, who is the chairman. And basically the idea is to see how we can push this issue onto the Israeli political agenda. Uh, we had our first meeting, um, and usually Knesset caucuses interest about 30 or 40 people. We brought 350 people to our first meeting. With uh, a live video feed, I saw. Yes, yes. Yeah. And we had uh, over 100 people come from around the world. We had one guy come from New Zealand. Now, New Zealand is a 48-hour trip in each direction, wow. and we didn't pay anything to anyone. So he came on his own volition with his own funds just for this two-hour meeting. It's, for these people, it was historic that the Knesset, the legislature of the Jewish state, is recognizing and discussing their plight. They're showing interest. And they're they're, 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 it's beyond interest. Their side of the equation yep. is right. waking up is wanting to reconnect with the Jewish world. The mm -hmm. Jewish world, our side of the ledger, is, it, it's not, there's a lack of awareness, I would say. But what we're trying to do is create awareness amongst the Jewish world, the state of Israel, the formative Jewish uh, world, as I would call them, mm -hmm. and really help them to understand what's happening, because more and more of these people are knocking on doors of Jewish federations, JCCs, rabbis, 
Jews, etc., etc. So what we want to do is create an up, down, and down up holistic approach to this, uh, allowing for the highest levels of the Jewish world, the president of the state of Israel, the prime minister of the state of Israel, members of Knesset, Jewish Federation, major Jewish organizational heads, academics, religious figures, rabbis, all because this ha this is going to be the greatest challenge and the greatest opportunity for the Jewish people in the 21st century, and we just need everybody to be involved. Okay, so most of these people that are finding your organization or that you're finding, do they need to go through a conversion process, or <clears throat> how do you find out if... It's, it's, I mean, when we're talking about 100 million people, it's almost impossible to talk about them as one group. There are those who do not have to. I've come across many who have been able to trace their unbroken maternal lineage uh -huh. uh, to recognize Jewish communities, and the rabbinical world has said, welcome home. On the other side of the spectrum, there are people who think that maybe a tradition or maybe a, a, a family name uh, demonstrates uh, indicative that they have Jewish ancestry, and that's all they have at this point. So they would probably have to go through a full conversion. But halakhically, historically, by the way, up until the 18th century, any Anus, Anusa, who wanted to return to the Jewish community, did so without anything. No ceremony. Wow. Today, obviously, things are a little bit more complicated, but there are rabbis who are giving return certificates. There are rabbis who say, like Rav uh, Soloveitchik, I have a letter which said that any anus uh, should be uh, treated as part of a minyan, okay. should be given aliyah to the Torah, only if they want to marry a Jew should they undergo giyulachumra, pro forma conversion, which okay. means uh, tefillah, uh, 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 visit to the mikvah, without a blessing, because yeah. obviously we don't take God's name in vain when we have no right. certainty. And Kabbalah Mitzvot, obviously if they're a male and they haven't been circumcised, they have right, to go right. through that, but there is a range of opinion. Most rabbis, and I'm talking about Rabbi Vadi Yosef, I'm talking about Rabbi Mordechai Liao, Rabbi Soloveitchik, Rabbi Kuk, Rabbi Nisim, many, many rabbis in the 20th century rule that they are part of our people. There's a, uh, there, there are disagreements what process they have to go through, but almost all of them, including the Aguda, said that it's our responsibility, halakhically, to reach out to these people and help them uh, through their process of return. So many of these people obviously were expelled from Spain, from Portugal, and now they're living in other countries. Are, the, are Spain and Portugal welcoming them back if they want to return there? Well, first of all, many of them were not expelled. That was the point, the Jewish people, uh -huh. the, the, those who had been forcibly converted okay. were expelled. Those who were not forcibly converted, who were forcibly converted, were Spain. not allowed to leave. Uh -huh. But what we do know is that the first boats to the New World, including the date of the expulsion Christopher Columbus set sail to the New World, yeah. what we know, there's a big debate about whether Christopher Columbus was a Jew, there's a lot right. of evidence to suggest he was, and it's, Wait, right. it's a debate amongst historians. What we do know is that a large part of his uh, staff, senior staff, were Jews and Muslim. Uh -huh. and in fact there's an interesting story, it's impossible to prove its veracity, but his first mate, who was a, a forcibly converted Jew, basically, by the way, Christopher Columbus set sail with Jewish money. Right. It was, uh, it was the Jews who funded the king and queen because they believed that this could be a way of finding the lost tribes. And when they reached what was probably Cuba, most people assumed that the first place he landed was Cuba, the first mate was sent into the interior to meet with the villagers because it was assumed that they were the lost tribes and they spoke Hebrew. Mm -hmm. So when the first mate came across the villagers, the first words that were heard in the New World was Hebrew. He shouted out in Hebrew. Obviously, 
the natives didn't understand uh, Hebrew, but it's, it's a fascinating... Uh, but we do know on the first boats of Columbus and all subsequent voyages, massive amounts of Anusim fled because they wanted to get away from the centre of the oppression, which was Spain and Portugal. And the first synagogue was set up in the north of Brazil, which is still used by Anusim up to this day. And eventually the first Jews reached America because they were Anusim fleeing the Inquisition in Brazil. Wow. So, uh, you know, so now they're all over the world to answer your question, but mostly in Latin America, North America, where statistically that there's a debate about this, but statistically between one in four, one in seven or eight Latinos, Hispanics have Jewish ancestry. All the names Perez, Lopez, Caldoso, Garcia, Fernandez, Ferrara, these are indicative of Jewish ancestry. It doesn't mean everyone with this name uh-huh. has Jewish ancestry, but they are strongly indicative of Jewish ancestry. Wow. And are many choosing to move to Israel? First of all, there are many who are um, undergoing either a formal return or conversion who are making Aliyah, um, who have made Aliyah, who are wanting to make Aliyah. Um, but a lot of them just want to remain in their communities. Uh-huh. Um, we know, again, uh, checking statistically, there is a significant number uh, of those who, want, who would like to make Aliyah. We're not talking about tens of millions, but... Uh, but a lot. And, and by the way, these are very highly educated and professional people. We're talking about 28% have a master's or higher. Uh, very well to do. Impressive. Yeah. Wow. Um, no, so, you know, a lot of times you hear Kibbutz Galios, you know, coming from Olim all over the world, but this is a... Personally, I think this sounds like another form of Kibbutz Galios, you know, bringing... Well, I think, I think there's, there's some interesting... A lot of the Anusim point to this. They point to a prophecy in Ovadia, which said that you know one of the things that will happen in the messianic, the redemption, uh-huh. is that the, the loss of Fadim will return to the Negev. Uh-huh. So a lot of uh, Anusim have a very close connection with the Negev. Also, by the way, the uh, the Ravanel, he was one of those Jews who was uh, expelled, uh-huh. and he prophesied at that time. He said that before the redemption comes we have to bring back the end of sin, the lost souls of Israel, as he called it. There's been many, many other people who have talked about this as an absolute prerequisite for what we're going through. And if you see, you know, a lot of people think that this is an impossible task. But one thing the Jewish people have shown in the 20, 20th century, 21st century even, <laughs> yeah. is that we've been able to achieve the impossible. It's and I true. believe that this is the next step in the Kibbutz Galiot, or in the, you know, bringing back the Jewish people to a formative status, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, we lost many people along the way, millions, tens of millions of people along the way, many of them physically, and obviously we can't do anything about that, but many spiritually. Right. And what most people don't understand is almost every single Jew around the world is a ben or bat anusim. And what do I mean by that? First of all, that 90% of all Jews at one point lived in Spain. Okay. And Spanish Jewry, even Ashkenazim today, a lot of them have their roots in Spain. Yeah. Bibi Netanyahu did his DNA uh, testing recently and he realized that he's also a Spadi really? originally. Wow. But most Ashkenazim I are. start eating rice on Pesach. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but yeah. um, Spanish Jewry was forcibly converted three times. First under the Visigoths, then under the Moors, and then under the, the famous Spanish, uh, the, 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 uh, Isabella and Ferdinand. But French jury, Hungarian jury, German jury, Russian jury, Ethiopian jury, Persian jury, Yemenite jury, and many others at one point during the existence were forcibly converted. So, first of all, that says that we're all to a certain extent Bene Anusim. Uh-huh. And second of all, it means that almost 
not every, but many, many rabbis through, from antiquity, even the Talmud talks about this, through Rashi, Rambam, Shulchan Aruch, talk about the halakhic status of Anusim. How do we treat these people according to Allah? And as I said, the vast majority of them overwhelmingly say these people are Jews and these people are part of us. Well, I'm, I'm chills just from hearing this. Um, are there any uh, amazing anecdotes that you could share with the audience about um, Anusim that found out that they were Anusim? Or? Yeah. I mean, I've got many. I, I'm contacted by tens, if not hundreds, every day, every week. Wow. Um, I can just tell you, we posted on our Facebook page yesterday an amazing story of uh, someone who just made Aliyah, just received their Tudor I think, last week. And basically, her story was she grew up in Mexico and California, um, and they always kept these strange traditions that weren't like many of their neighbors. There was an overemphasis. Uh, on the Old Testament, their family would gather to, together to read Old Testament. There were certain foods they would avoid, certain customs and traditions and festivals they kept. And this was just the way it was for her, and, until one day she came to visit Israel. And people kept on saying to her, you must be Jewish, you must be Jewish. And she saw a lot, of the, uh, a lot of the customs were familiar to her, so she went back, spoke to her very elderly father, who said, when she said, tell me, who are we? And he said two words to her that changed her life. Somos judíos, we are Jews. And that began a process of return to her to the point that now she's, uh, she made Aliyah. I can tell you other examples. Someone who spoke at our Knesset caucus event who literally had politicians, diplomats, rabbis in tears with her story. It's a fascinating story. She now lives in Haifa, a religious woman, married, just had her first baby. She's Portuguese, grew up in Portugal, had some very strange customs, like when she would go into a church or a cemetery, she would say a little prayer. That, you know, please forgive us for what we're about to do. This was just something they did. Yeah. Also, she had other strange customs like, and I don't know if you could tell me why, figure this one out. Okay. Why, whenever she would point to the stars or the sky at night, her mother or grandmother would slap her hand. Oh. Can you think why? Would you slap her hand? Because how do you know when Shabbat is out? Three stars. stars. So before we had watches and clocks and phones, how did you know Shabbat was out? You check the stars. You check the stars. So this would be one of the things that the Inquisition would look out for. For, for people checking at night time oh. for stars. Don't forget the Inquisition was like the Gestapo. They watched every facet of your life and anything that even slightly smelled of anything Jewish uh -huh. could get you burnt at the stake. So you can imagine this is something that, anyway, so wow. she spent one summer or something like that in India, in Goa. And who's in Goa? Lots of Israelis. You know, they go there, post-army or whatever. Okay. And she started hanging out with some Israelis and she kind of fell in love, started going out. And then um, she went home and she started telling her mother that, you know our family heirloom? This was a Magin David. Uh -huh. She didn't know it was Magin David, she said it was a nice star. So said, well, these Israelis are wearing them. I don't understand what it is. So they got it out and they realized it's the Star of David. And a lot of the customs they had been doing. Had been doing. Wow. And, there's, and she told me once, I think even, that she brought her grandmother to Israel. And I guess the grandmother didn't really understand where she was until she was in the old city in the Kota. She suddenly looked around and goes, there's a lot of Jews here. I was always told to avoid Jews. And it was like very worrying for her. Why? Because that would be something the Inquisition would look out for. Anyone who is associated with anyone associated with Jews, you want to be as far away from Jews as possible. Not through because of anti-Semitism, but because there was a fear that you would, you would be the next person dragged in. 
And she basically went through uh, a conversion, and she now lives uh, in Israel. And it's, she told her story far better than I could. It was a very emotional. You can check it out on our website and our Facebook page, but really it, it brought people to tears at, at our first uh, event. Okay, so now once they, uh, once they either convert or they are brought back into the Jewish community, who is there to help them, guide them, uh, what has Reconnect Army been done? I, I saw something about a Purim Megillah and right. a Pesach Haggadah. Right. So, because as I said, 95% of the Jewish world are just completely unfamiliar of this phenomenon. So, the vast majority of the Jewish world is just unaware of this. Don't know what to do with these people, don't know who they are, and there's a lot of rejection, uh, largely because of lack of awareness. Um, so what we, as I said, the first most important thing is to become aware and talk about it and write about it and do interviews like this because I think it's important that people are more and more aware. What we are doing is we're supplying information for these people because they, they thirst for Judaism, they thirst for Jewish history, their traditions, their culture. And so what we, we're doing at Reconnecta is we're giving them the tools to understand what it, what is this, you know, uh -huh. uh, traditions, we tell them about how to celebrate Hanukkah, those who did, by the way, a lot of Anusim never lost their traditions, so we're not teaching them anything, uh -huh. new obviously. They may be teaching us something. Exactly, exactly, there are many very interesting customs which Anusim have, which are probably more authentic than some of ours today. <laughs> it's, uh, if you think about it, it's fascinating because a lot of them were in communities where they didn't mix with any other Jewish communities. Or, right. Is, by the way, one of the most fascinating examples is a community in Belmonte, which is in northern Brazil, in the hills in northern Brazil, and they were so cut off from the rest of the world and the Jewish community, they believed, when, when a rabbi stumbled on them at the beginning of the 20th century, they believed they were the only Jews left on earth because yeah. the Inquisition had got everyone else. They really did believe that. Um, and these are people who kept very interesting customs which evolved over the years because of their lack of a rabbinical figure or you know someone who could teach them customs so their customs the only thing they remembered was Shema Yisrael and the only reason they believed this rabbi was a Jew because he knew the Shema. Wow that's amazing um, so you mentioned government officials um, they're obviously very in support of this are there any specific ones that you could think of that have come out very strongly? Well you can go to our website, you can see all our supporters, which include Prime Minister Netanyahu, uh, President uh, Reuven Rivlin, former President Shimon Perez, yeah. Shalom, uh, Natan Sharansky, Defense Minister Vitor Lieberman, many different MKs, religious, academic, Jewish organizational leaders. And I'm quite surprised, when I first undertook this uh, sort of task to create this movement, I thought maybe half would reject it, half would accept it or support it. I have to say I found almost overwhelming support for this. 90-95% of all the senior religious, political, diplomatic, uh, academic figures that I've met are yeah. extremely supportive. Is it funded by the government or is no, it private? Absolutely, 100% private. Where do you get, I mean, can I ask where you're finding people to... To fund it? To fund it, yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, we're looking for funders. Uh -huh. uh, we basically managed to do this on a shoestring budget. Um, but we're looking for funders, but at the moment, up until now, it's been private funders. We have some Jewish organizations uh, and others, even government ministries, who have expressed interest in perhaps funding this, but we would prefer to main, uh, remain at this point a private uh, entity. Wow. Well, I'm completely impressed, and uh, it's really remarkable, everything you're doing, and tremendous success. Um, I always end off my interview um, asking the person I'm interviewing, what is your Israel happy place? If there's a specific place in Israel that just, or a feeling about Israel. 
Wow. Um, I wrote an article about this, I think on my 10th uh, Aliyah anniversary, and I think to a certain extent I'm the Aliyah poster boy because I have loved every single minute. I, I oh, just... I just then it's good that we're meeting. Cause <laughs> I, I just, I really think it's, it's not so much, you know, what I enjoy. I just feel every minute, it's an honor. Yes. You know, my father, who much older than I am and fought in the Second World War, etc., etc., he was... The one thing that he always said, he was a very passionate Zionist, if not overly religious man, uh -huh. but the one thing he said, and by the way, I'm about to celebrate, commemorate his Azkara next week, uh, is that um, he said, you don't know what it's like to live in a world without Israel. And today, the vast majority of us do not understand that. We take it for granted that it's, it's true. A, a short plane ride or a longer plane ride mm -hmm. away. It's there. It's on the news. We have friends. We can get its food. We can... It's true. We're we very take it spoiled. for granted, but can you imagine? Two thousand years, we didn't have mm -hmm. it. Our ancestors would have given their life and their limbs just to spend one minute of what we have. And I think if you keep that in mind, you'll always see this country glass more than half full, yes. resting on its viscosity. This is an amazing miracle. We, you know, how how old is this country? Sixty. Sixty-eight. Eight, nine 68 years. years yeah. We created a miracle here. The, in such know, a short time also. And don't forget, we created this democracy with people who had not a minute of experience of democracy. They either came from Nazi-occupied Europe, communist, under communists, or the Arab countries where they had a dimly second-class status. Not one single person who created this country had an experience of democracy, and look what we've created here. So how lucky we are that we get to live here. And Absolutely. Uh, it's a blessing every day. Okay, well, thank you for bringing this to uh, the attention of so many more people that might not have heard about it. And Wait, please spread the word and please come to our website. Can I give the website? Of course, name? please give the website. It's yes. www.reconnectar, R-E-C-O-N-E-C-T-A-R.co, and we have, um, we have it in Spanish, Portuguese, and English, and Facebook, and Twitter. And I'll put all the links on the else. website, and uh, everybody will check it out. So continue success, and thank you so thank much you for sitting much. with me. Thank you, Yoni. Back to you. Thank you, Tova, and thank you, Ashley Perry. Again, Ashley's website. I mean, he had a he had a better accent. Reconnoctar. That was terrible. Okay, you know, I'm not forget forget the accent. We're just gonna say it. Reconnoctar.co, spelled R-E-C-O-N-E-C-T-A-R.co.co. Again, the website, Reconnecting the Descendants of Spanish and Portuguese Jewish Communities in the Jewish World. So uh, if you could help them out, check it out. Again, Tova, she uh, she actually does a great job with all of her interviews. What she does afterwards is she has uh, she puts them on Facebook, on her, on her website, also tovanisrael.com, Facebook Tova in Israel. And uh, it's sort of in a, in a video loop so that uh, there's somewhat of a visual behind the behind the actual interview, um, but she puts up all the links that they discussed. But again, Ashley's website, reconnectar.co. And uh, so we thank him for joining Tova, and thank you, Tova, again, as usual, a regular here on Bite Size. And again, tovanisrael.com or Tova in Israel on Facebook to check out everything that she does. More coming up on Bite Size. We had Candlelight coming into the interview. And to end it, we are going to have the Maccabees' latka recipe. I think it was, uh, was it last year or two years ago's Hanukkah video? I want to say last year. But here it is, latka recipe. You're tuned to the Bite Size right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. 
Siegel reminding you that the Chevron Fund 24-hour campaign has begun. That's right. Until Wednesday at 2 p.m., you have the opportunity to quadruple your impact on the residents, soldiers, and thousands of visitors who want to connect and pray in the holy city of Chevron. Go now to the Chevron Fund website, hebronfund.org, H-E-B-R-O-N fund.org. This quadruple your $1 campaign continues until Wednesday at 2 p.m. For every dollar you give, it's actually $4. Give as generously as you can and give now. Hebronfund.org, H-E-B-R-O-N fund.org. Yeah. 
Get off by 613, another one of those uh, Hanukkah parodies that uh, have come, have become actually so, so popular over the last several years. And uh, I know this show we haven't played so many of them, but I promise you next week, only Hanukkah music, maybe even a few uh, doubles. If I really like the song, I might play it a few times during the show, but uh, 
there are actually so many Hanukkah parodies. I, I want to say that Hanukkah probably is the most popular holiday when it comes to those parody songs. It seems like uh, the other day I was actually just on my computer, literally like, you know, type in Hanukkah parody, listen to one after the other, and constant stream. I think I think I easily hit 15, if not more. So uh, we'll be plenty busy with those songs next week. But uh, that was 613. We know the Maccabees obviously do have several almost every year, and uh, we'll have plenty of those next week. But here we are wrapping up our show, and when we wrap our show, that means four to the door. That's right, America's favorite final segment of a show, four to the door, and this week's theme, as I teased earlier, or at least somewhat teased, this week's theme is holiday season. Now, it's not specific to Hanukkah, because actually, well, I'll pretty much tease next week's four to the door segment. Uh, Next week will be Hanukkah. This week just has to do with the holiday season as a whole. We live in the United States, and uh, the holiday season here within the States, especially within New York City, is a uh, joyous, happy time. And uh, so obviously I asked our social media coordinator and assistant programming director, Jamie Turkel, as every week I do so, for her top four at the door, top four uh, favorite holiday season moments, if you will, favorite you know, just what happens, let's say within the whole month of December, pretty much until the first or second week in January, that whole time is a uh, a different time, a different mindset for everyone within the city, within the United States. So uh, that's this week's Four to the Door. And as usual, I will read Jamie Turkel's list first before I get to mine. So number four on Jamie Turkel's top four to the door, top four holiday uh, moments, if you will. Number four is the subways are quick slash empty during uh, really this week and next week. And she is absolutely correct on that. And uh, I'll have more to say about that when it comes to my list. Number three on Jamie's lift, list, excuse me, scarf and hat weather. I can absolutely agree with her on that. Uh, this morning I was rocking my Houston Texans scarf and my Houston Rockets, uh, what do you call those, beanies with a little pom-pom on top. I, I actually love that. That's my favorite um, configuration, I guess, of uh, when when I wear out on my winter, I got my peacoat and I got my Texan scarf, Rockets hat, rocking the Houston sports teams, still waiting on the Houston Astros to, you know, send me some gloves if you'd like or, uh, I don't know, something Astros colored and themed i will certainly rock it here in the city number two on jamie turkel's list twinkly lights everywhere i think she's twinkly right not twinkling twinkly uh yeah i mean hey you walk around the city at night and by night i mean pretty much 5 p.m and those lights are all over the place really nice uh you don't have to be not jewish who appreciate the lights i know uh, back home in houston uh, when we were younger, we used to drive through, not our neighborhood, because my neighborhood was actually predominantly Jewish, but outside neighborhoods, uh, they really know how to throw themselves some nice lighting all over their yard. Um, and to say it's lit is certainly not a understatement. Yeah, there's, there's a nice little pun there. You like that, Jamie, huh? It's lit. All right, um, number one on Jamie Turkel's top four of the door, top four holiday Things that go around 
the holiday season number one and number one on probably many people's list. Number one on Jamie Turkel's list. Great, great deals. So if you like deals, if you like saving money, if you like spending money, or saving money but still spending money because sometimes you buy things that you don't necessarily need, great, great deals. And obviously I have a list of websites I check out. I'm sure everyone does. I don't want to promote any specific one uh, website one or the other, but I'm pretty sure y'all know what I'm talking about. Anyway, 4-1 to one on Jamie Turkel's top four to the door at top four. Holiday week moments. Number four, again, was subways are quick or empty. Number three is a scarf and hat weather. Number two, twinkly lights. And number one, great sales. And as usual, if you have any comments, questions, critiques on one of our lists, hit me up with an email, yoni at nachomseal.com, Y-O-N-I at nachomseal.com, or leave a comment in the app section on the NSN app. Number four on Yoni Pollock. That's myself. Number four on Yoni Pollock's top four to the door. Top four. Holiday Week Moments number four is the songs. Now, I know I work for a Jewish radio station, and I love Jewish music. I promise you this is not me simply saying that because I work here. I legitimately love Jewish music, which is why I'm such a great fit here. But uh, during the holiday weeks, during the December, really almost November this day and age, but uh, mostly in December, even somewhat leaking into January, whether it be the commercials on TV, whether it be, you know, you're just listening anywhere and everywhere. It's the uh, different tunes and different songs. Uh, I enjoy them. Listen, it's a uh, guilty pleasure of mine, if you will, that I enjoy those uh, those songs, the caroling, whatever it is. Um, they're catchy. They get me. And I enjoy uh, whistling along or humming along. Whatever it be. Number three on my top four to the door. Top four holiday week moments. Number three, as Jamie said, which was number four on our list. Number three on my list is the subway commute. Now, Jamie and I pretty much have equally long. Oh, Jamie claims hers is long. All right. Somewhat longer. Maybe. I'll give it to her. But uh, the subway commute is so, so much more easy, emptier. Um, personally, I mean, I don't find the commute fun. So in the morning, I, I just try to nap, catch up on whatever sleep I couldn't catch the night before. And in the afternoon is pretty much a uh, podcast time for me. But subway commute, I actually, this whole week I've been getting a seat, which isn't always the case in the morning. Um, and certainly in the afternoon is almost a doubt that I ever get a seat. But this week has been great. Next week will probably be even better. But for all of you that have a commute within the city that use the subway, I'm sure you all agree and stand with Jamie and I that if uh, the rest of the year's commute was just like this week and next week's, we'd all enjoy our commute a lot better. Number two on my list, which was actually number one on Jamie's list, number two on my list is the great deals. Now, I guess Jamie may do a little more shopping than I do, whether it be in store, online, whatever it is. We all appreciate great deals, and there's no better time of the year than Black Friday right after Thanksgiving, and then uh, over these next few weeks, there's no better time for deals. And number one on my top four of the door, top four holiday week moments, number one, people are simply nicer. Now, I don't know if this is something that I just noticed more, and this is not to toot my own horn or anything, it's just 
stereotypical that Southerners, again, I am from Houston, Texas, so Southerners are, I don't want to say more nice, are nicer people. They just tend to be more courteous. But during the holiday season here in New York City, everyone's feeling the love. Everyone's being nicer. You notice it everywhere. And uh, so uh, I so I certainly notice it a lot. Everyone's just nicer during this time. And remember, if you're just simply walking around, you're going to buy something at a store, you're passing a toll booth. You know, you're going to the GW or wherever it is or your your mail carrier. And anyone who you see, just try to wish them a happy holidays. It certainly is something while they may never they might not even respond happy holidays back it's certainly something that they'll remember at the end of the day like oh that was so nice of person x you may not know them they may be a sub mail carrier they may be you know someone just filling it at a toll booth whoever it is just try to wish everyone a happy holidays it's a nice thing to do whether you celebrate a certain holiday or not being nice costs zero cents but could leave a lasting impression on someone else. So you could go ahead and do that. Now, again, just to repeat my top four of those top four holiday week moments, number four is the, the songs going on during the week. Number three, the subway commute. Number two, great deals. Number one, people are nicer. Again, Yoni and AchimSiegel.com or leave a comment on the app if you have any comments regarding this week's four to the door. But uh, I assume actually most people are going to agree with both of us. I think Jamie came in with an excellent list. My list, I believe, was pretty good as well. But uh, again, Yoni at AchimSiegel.com or leave an app, comment on the NSN app. If you have any comments, questions, critiques on Board of the Door or on this show as a whole, we thank Tova Knecht of TovaInIsrael.com, Tova in Israel on Facebook, and Joanna Shepson, FunInJerusalem.com for their contributions this week to bite size. I thank you, the fans, the listeners, for spending the last two hours here with me on the Nachum Siegel Network. A reminder, you can check us out on Facebook, Nachum Siegel Network, on Twitter, at Nachum Siegel Net, and on Instagram, Nachum Siegel Network. I remind you that this coming Friday, Naomi Nachman's Chopped competition will air on NachumSiegel.com. Uh, I was there. It was a lot of fun. We did it this past Monday at Gourmet Glot. If you were there, I'm, I, I mean, I'm sure you could tell all your friends. What an amazing competition. Naomi runs a great chopped competition for all of you unfamiliar with the chopped idea. It really comes from Food Network. They have a chopped competition. Um, and Naomi does a kosher chopped, which is, was absolutely phenomenal. This was the first one I actually witnessed Naomi do. Again, you can check it out on our website, NahumSeal.com, on Friday at 9 a.m. You could also follow her on Instagram, Nachum, at, uh, excuse me, Naomi Nachman. So, uh, again, thank you all for tuning in. That's how you could check us out on our social media. If you haven't yet downloaded the NSN app, go ahead and do so on your uh, smartphone. Go to the App Store. If it's an iPhone, go to the Google Play Store, I believe, if it's an Android. Download the app, and you could check out all of our content live or while on the run. My name is Yoni Pollock, wishing everyone a happy holidays and reminding you that the bite size is the right size.
Hi, this is Nachum Siegel reminding you that the Chevron Fund 24-hour campaign has begun. That's right. Until Wednesday at 2 p.m., you have the opportunity to quadruple your impact on the residents, soldiers, and thousands of visitors who want to connect and pray in the holy city of Hebron. Go now to the Hebron Fund website, hebronfund.org, H-E-B-R-O-N fund.org. This quadruple your $1 campaign continues until Wednesday at 2 p.m. For every dollar you give, it's actually $4. Give as generously as you can and give now. Hebronfund.org, H-E-B-R-O-N fund.org.